We thank you for a, a beautiful day that you've provided us with, a, a day to stop and rest from the activities of the world and to focus on you. Father, uh, thank you for this time of worship, this time of study. Thank you for your word. We ask that you'd be with our loved ones that are away from us, that you'd uh, keep them safe and, and bring them back to us safely. We thank you for uh, the healing that we've heard about with uh, Brandon's, uh, Brandon's friend and co-worker, uh, the things that you're working with uh, Amber Baker's mom, or aunt. We ask that you continue to, to work with that situation, that uh, there can be some, uh, some benefit and, and some good, good things that come out of that. Father, we, uh, we pray that you'd bless us in this time of study, that we could open our hearts and minds to, to what's in your word and what you want us to learn today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're a little bit off topic of where Steve was, but actually we're going to still be in Exodus for a large part of this. Uh, so if you want to get into Exodus in your Bible, that'd be just fine. <clears throat> oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. <laughs> to know me is to love me. I must be one whale of a man. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. I used to have a girlfriend, but she just couldn't compete with all those love-starved women who kept clamoring at my feet. Well, I'll probably find me another but I guess they're just all in awe of me. Who cares? I never get lonesome because I treasure my own company. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be one whale of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. I guess you could say I'm a loner. A cowboy outlaw, tough and proud. I could have lots of friends if I wanted, but then I wouldn't stand out from the crowd. Some people say I'm egotistical. Well, I don't even know what that means. I guess it has something to do with the way that I fill out my skin-tight blue jeans. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be one whale of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. You ever meet somebody like that? <laughs> they say that we live in, a, in a, a generation that's addicted to pride, that's addicted to accolades and recognition. In 1950s, <laughs> only 12% of high school students can, considered themselves to be VIPs are very important people. Now, over 80% of them believe that. 70% now believe that they have above average leadership skills. <laughs> and only 2% think that they're below average. <laughs> so, where did this come from? <laughs> There was, a, there was a movement about back in the 60s and 70s about self-esteem, wasn't there? 
where we're going to reward every child just for participating. And you won't get anything any different than the person that puts out the extra effort and actually excels and wins. And so we ended up building up a, a, a generation, of, of which I am one, that uh, self-esteem reached more than just a healthy level. It reached a unhealthy level. So why do you call somebody like in this, this, this little song that I, I read to you, why do you call them? Conceited? <laughs> Vain would probably be a good word. And, and at the root of it, there's something that's going on, isn't there? It's excessive pride. Excessive pride. Too much self-esteem may be just as detrimental as too little. And it leads to several negative behaviors, according to the American Association of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. Narcissism, bullying, increased drug and alcohol use, more teenage sex, not less. So vanity is actually self-esteem kind of on steroids. You know, you've pushed it to a, to a higher level. I am the center of the universe. The world spins around me, right? Proverbs 11, 12. You could probably quote this one, Jim. <laughs> when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. And that comes from God's Word. And if there's anybody that knows how much pride we should have or how much humility we should have, that would be God. So if we go back into the time of Exodus, we're just a little bit after Joseph's time that we've been talking about with Steve. Uh, the Israelites have been there for something like 400 years or so. And if you remember Joseph, he, he grew to become what, second in command of all of Egypt. Now Egypt was the superpower of the time, right? They were the military superpower, they were the governmental superpower, they were the cultural superpower. That was Egypt. And one man was in charge of this whole great conglomeration, and his name was Pharaoh, right? Now, there were tons of Pharaohs, just like there's been 40-some-odd presidents of the United States. But when we think about Pharaoh, we think about one in particular, don't we? Which one's that one? The guy that Moses had to deal with, the Pharaoh of that time. So think about growing up in Pharaoh's household, and you're going to be the next in line. Have you earned that responsibility? Have you earned that title? No, just given to you, right? We look, we look, we look across the, the ocean at, at, at uh, England, right? <laughs> Who's going to be next in line to be uh, the, the king or queen of, of England? Prince Charles. Why? He was the son of the queen. <laughs> Did he have special training? Did he have special abilities? Does he have special talents? No. He was just born into it. And so 
the Pharaoh's kid, the, 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 the first son, is, falls immediately into this. So imagine being that first son and what the world does to you. How does it treat you? Yes, your highness. <laughs> Whatever you would like, your majesty. Certainly. Can I do something else for you, prince, whatever? <laughs> okay. What's that going to do to an eight-year-old's mind? <laughs> What's it, when a 70-year-old is bowing down to me to take care of my needs, <laughs> to cater to my wants, What's that going to do to this boy's self-esteem? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it goes beyond pride. It goes beyond vanity. This goes into something we can't understand because Pharaoh was not only seen to be as a military or a governmental leader or ruler, he was also seen to be a deity. They considered him a god, right? So if you're a god, if you're a deity... What does that mean about your decisions? Does it mean anything? Nobody can dispute it. They're unarguable. They are always right. <laughs> Is that true? Well, let's find out. <laughs> let's find out. So, Israelites have been in the nation for, uh, in, in Egypt for 400 years. They started off kind of as, as a partners, as, as welcome guests because of Joseph and what he did. But over the 400 years, God really blessed the Israelite nation that are living there within the land of Goshen inside of Egypt. And they've multiplied, and they've grown, and they've become more and more affluent. And all of a sudden, the Egyptians start thinking, wait a minute. There is a truckload of these turkeys here. <laughs> and if they, are, they may have come in as farmers, they may have come in as shepherds, not warriors, but if somebody else wanted to come in here and take us over, they're going to have a ready set huge group of people that would side with them and would take Egypt from us. So they started seeing the, the, the Israelites as a threat, right? They didn't want them there, at least not in any position that could be potentially powerful. So they start trying to subdue them by introducing them to the wonderful world of slavery. Okay? So they start making them work hard and forcing them into servitude and things like that. And they think this is going to take away their, their desire to ever want to overcome us. Seems kind of... Backwards thinking to me. <laughs> and you remember what happened? They continued to grow. <laughs> they continued to flourish, even underneath all this pressure of slavery. God blessed them even more. So, okay, we need to make it things a little bit harder on them. We're going to have the midwives start knocking off the baby boys, throwing them in the river. Did they do it? No, if you remember, the midwives wouldn't do that. They followed God's thoughts and things like that. And so Moses was born, if you remember, and they hid him in the, the river, 
And he was rescued and brought into Pharaoh's household. Kind of raised as a grandchild, of all things, of Pharaoh. He was growing up at the same time that the Pharaoh he's going to deal with a little bit later in Exodus, they grow up together. So he's exposed to many of the same things, many of the same privileges, many of the great uh, rewards that just come from being in Pharaoh's household. He was privy to all those too. But Moses grew up a little bit different, didn't he? He didn't let this go to his head where his self-esteem got ramped up to the level that the Pharaoh child's going to become. Okay? So that's kind of the, the background that we're dealing with here. Okay, come on. All right. So, if you remember, Moses kills a man that's beating a Hebrew slave, an Israelite slave. And he runs away and he spends some time in the land of Midian, if I remember correctly, and learns how to raise sheep. And as he's there, God approaches him in a burning bush. Well, he approaches God, the burning bush. <laughs> And God says, I'm going to send you back into Egypt, and I want you to bring the Israelites back out. So, he comes in, and he comes up to Pharaoh, and he claims to be representing God. And he demands that Pharaoh release all these Israelites from their servitude, from their bondage, from their slavery. So, Who's the decision up to whether these guys go or not? Is it up to Moses? No. Who's it up to? It's up to Pharaoh. Yeah. He's got the ultimate decision, right? And what did we decide about Pharaoh's decisions? They're never wrong. Because <laughs> I'm always right. Because I'm Pharaoh. And because I'm Pharaoh, I'm a deity. And I am wonderful. And man, it is hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, <laughs> right? So what goes through Pharaoh's mind? He's got two choices, right? What's his choices? When Moses comes up to him and says, I want to take these people out of Egypt to go worship God, a foreign God that he has no idea who this is, someone he's never seen within the, all the deities within the Egypt, Egyptian lands. Moses comes up to him and says, let my people go worship this God. What's Pharaoh's two choices? Huh? Let him go or keep him, right? What do you decide? Nah. <laughs> I don't think so, Tim. You're going to stay here, right? He's got the choice. Give in to this renegade, this guy that had run off, and now he's coming back and let the people go. What's that going to look like <laughs> to my country? That's going to make me look weak. 
You know, I can just give in to any old redneck that comes in out of the desert and wants to do something. Nah, can't do that. So I'm going to keep them under my thumb. I'm going to maintain the status quo. And it's going to take more than just you, Moses, and this guy, Aaron, that likes to talk for you, coming in and making a request. So what does God do? Well, God gives him 10 very impressive object lessons of why he should let the Israelites go, doesn't he? We call them the 10 plagues. All right? And each time one of these plagues comes up, God methodically deals with all these, these Egyptian deities of, and, and he shows how he's so much more greater than they are. And so each time Pharaoh calls Moses back and says, uh, if you'll take care of what problem I'm having here, I'll let you go, right? He makes a deal with Moses each time. And then when it happens, when, when Moses prays to God and this, each one of these plagues is stopped, what happens? Pharaoh does an about face, digs in his heels, said, nope, not going to go after all. So, what happens then? The Bible tells us that Pharaoh hardens his heart. Remember that? What does that mean when you harden your heart? Any ideas? <laughs> you know there's a better way, but because you've started down this track, you're not going to turn around and come back. So what do you do? We used to talk when we are working cattle. Every once in a while you get an old, an old cow that just won't do what you want to do. And you can beat on her, and you can hot shot her, and she just, we call it sullen up. She just sits there. <laughs> And does the exact opposite of what you want to do it. That's what Pharaoh seems to do. He souls up, right? He's not going to give in. So we get along a little bit further. And the Bible changes what it says a little bit about Pharaoh's heart. So Exodus chapter 9, verse 12. Would somebody read that for me? Exodus 9, verse 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He did not see them. This is the Lord has spoken to me. Well, who's hardening the heart here? The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, is what it says. Well, I thought God gave us free will. I, got, I thought God gave us the ability to make our own choices. But this tells me God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What's going on here? <laughs> That's not the God I know. What's it really saying? If you go back to chapter 8, you find out Pharaoh's actually the one hardening his own hearts for the first four or five plagues. But you get about here, and then it says God hardened his heart. So Pharaoh had set off down a path, right? 
Sorry about that, Brandon. Okay, so I got a choice, right? Yeah, we're not having a good day, are we? <laughs> All right. So Pharaoh's been given five times to make a choice, right? And he said, no each time. Five times. He's into this hole. So he's out here. No. 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 <laughs> One, two, three, four. No. All right. You ever gone down this road? <laughs> You've been so far down the road. It's a little bit hard when you do this first one to say, yeah, I was wrong. Let's go to yes, right? <laughs> How much harder it is, is it when you're down here? You've said no twice. A little bit harder. What about here? <laughs> harder still. When you get way down here, there is almost no way you can see yes. You are sold up. You're stuck. No way I'm going to go back. What does God do? He gives him five more times to make this choice. And so now, he ends up back here. No. <laughs> you can't get much harder than this. <laughs> He's not even on the same page anymore, is he? That's how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He gave him more opportunities to change his mind. But the further down that road he get, the further away from the good choice he was. So God still gave him the free will. He still had the opportunity at any time to say, okay, you can go, but he didn't. Is that good or bad? You can say it. Bad. <laughs> what was it leading to? Ultimately, it's leading to the death of his own son. Ultimately, it's leading to the loss of life of many of his soldiers. All right? But he was so far down this road that he could not turn back. He had a choice. Each time it could be I could humble myself or I can harden myself even more. You ever get uh, calluses? How do you do it? Working hard, right? Just rubbing those, that stuff each time. That's what he was doing. His heart was becoming calloused. Because he pushed so hard against God. Pharaoh got to the point of no return. Self-absorbed, closed-minded, unable to interpret the signs that God put right there in front of his face. Even Pharaoh's inner circle of magicians came to him and said, this is the finger of God. Exodus 8.19 But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen just as the Lord had said. Someone once said the difference between a rut and a grave 
is about six feet. <laughs> you stay in that rut, you just dig in that grave. Pharaoh stayed in that rut. And that's where he ended up. Why? There you go. <laughs> yeah. He was afraid. Loss of power. Good. What else is he afraid of? Pride. That's a bottom part of it. Yeah. You ever been afraid of being told you're wrong? That's a hard thing to buck up to, isn't it? To admit, I'm wrong. Especially when you're down here. And you've been so adamant for ten plagues to prove that you're right. It's hard to buck up and say I'm wrong. So, What about Moses? What's the difference with Moses? He grew up in much the same type of environment. He was exposed to much of the same type of, of uh, uh, perks, <laughs> rewards, care, all that kind of stuff. What's the difference? He knew better. All right, so how did that manifest itself? God was involved in him. He understood God. Yeah. When somebody would come up and speak to Moses, what would Moses do? Talk to the hand because the face ain't listening? What would he do? Let's see what you got to say. Remember when Moses is leading the, the Israelites and he's getting worn out, he's been taking care of them all day, and then, then they come, keep coming up to him and say, we want you to judge this case. We want you to take care of this issue between us. We want you to settle this dispute. And he was not getting to bed. He was wearing himself out. And his father-in-law Jethro comes up to him and offers some advice. Why don't you appoint some men to take care of these little disputes, take care of these little issues? And if they can't handle it, let it rise up to you. And what did Moses say? No. <laughs> I won't do that. God chose me to lead these people. I am going to lead these people. What do you say? He say, that's a good idea. <laughs> and he listened to a humble father-in-law and took his advice. When God gets Moses there at the burning bush, Remember that little conversation? God says, I want you to go into to Egypt and I want you to take care of my people and I want you to lead them out. And Moses says, I'm your man. <laughs> you came to the right guy. I'm the John Elway of leading people out of slavery. <laughs> That's all the guy I can think of. <laughs> what do you say? He says, not me. I can't speak. 
I can't do these kind of things. And so God kind of does something for him. What does he do? He says, okay, Moses, you have a limitation. You've got a problem that, I can't, that, that you can't deal with. You can't speak eloquently. I can kind of understand. <laughs> you can't speak well. Well, guess who I'm sending to help you out? <laughs> Aaron. <laughs> that guy is a Martin Luther King of oratory. He can, take, <laughs> he can speak. So Moses says, okay, uh, how, come they, how are they going to believe me? And he says, well, what's that thing in your hand? Throw it down. And what does it turn into? A snake, right? Pick it back up, back to a stick. Stick your, stick your hand in your, in your tunic. Pull it out. What you got? Ooh, leprosy. <laughs> stick it back in. What you got? Oh, got your fingers back. He says, I am going to equip you with what you need. But he did recognize that Moses had limitations. Moses had some things that he could not do or feel like he couldn't. But God says, I'm going to help you. God appreciated his humility. And God worked with it. So, Pharaoh on one hand couldn't stand a loss. Moses on the other hand realized his limitations and his inability to do things. But with God's help, he would persevere. He would do what needs to be done. One of the measures of humility is how you take a loss. How do you handle it when things don't go right? Uh, an example, my daughter, Katie, if I crack up on this one, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, loved volleyball. She adored volleyball. And so she was out on the team ever since, you know, whenever they start playing little kids, like at six, six years of age, not six years, sixth grade, and stuff like that. And she's there for every practice. She's there for every game. She's there for every fundraising and stuff like that, right? And so her senior year, she's going to become co-captain of the team. That's something you look forward to, right? That's something to be admired. And it was going to be a great season. It was going to be a wonderful season. This was going to be the crowning moment of her 12 years in school. It was the worst season Monta Vista has ever had for volleyball. They lost game after game after game. There's a standing rule in my house. If you start something, you finish it. And Katie bucked up, and she still went to every practice. She still went to every game. She still went to every fundraiser. And I had to admire the coach because that was a coach that believed that everybody deserves to play that makes the team. And so Katie was fairly strong on the front, front line, but a little bit weak on getting those digs and stuff like that. So when she would rotate to the back, he would pull her out. <laughs> she would pull her out and let another team player play. So when Katie was out there leading her team, after every set, after every, what do you call it when you go back and forth? 
after every volley, hey, good job, way to go, nice, nice dig, great hit. Or if somebody messed up, hey, next time you'll get it better, you'll be fine. When she was sitting on the bench, she was louder than any cheerleader speaking up for her team. <sighs> Yelling for them, encouraging them. She gutted it out day in, day out. And a losing volleyball season was not lost on my daughter. Why? She learned some things, didn't she? She learned about perseverance. She learned about emotional control. She learned about pride and doing your best even though the outcome isn't what you wanted. She learned the appreciation of others. She learned character. She learned the humility of not winning. She learned that life wasn't about winning or losing, but it's about people. It's how you play the game. Pharaoh couldn't stand to lose. And if he thought he was losing, he would throw a fit. <laughs> He'd throw a temper tantrum. He couldn't take it. Moses was no second-rate prophet, was he? He was top-notch in God's eyes. In the world's eyes, not so much. Not so much at all. So Jesus comes along, and at the Sermon of the Mount, he starts talking about what we call the Beatitudes. You remember what the first one is? Blessed are the poor in spirit. We're not talking about a spirit to do your best. We're not talking about a spirit to, to live. We're not talking about a spirit to, to care. We're talking about a spirit of pride. Blessed are the pure, pure in spirit. Or excuse me, blessed are the meek before they inherit, inherit the earth. Hebrews puts it this way, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Remember all that, that glitz, that glamour that comes with being in Pharaoh's household? Moses distanced himself with it. Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead. He was looking ahead to his reward. Moses knew as Moses understood that it mattered how you played the game. Moses was willing to sit on the bench and let others play. What was important for him was doing what was best for the team. Doing what the coach asked. What God wanted him to do. So were there any lessons for us between Moses and Pharaoh? <laughs> I'd like to think so. 
One would be admit your limitations. Moses was keenly aware of his limitations. And who did he approach with it? God, the one that could equip him. He didn't allow those limitations to close doors. To stop him from reaching out for these opportunities. 2 Corinthians 4.7 We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. Not from us. It's not my talent. It's not my ability. It's not my intelligence. It's God's. I'm just a jar of clay. I'm just an old dirt bag <laughs> that God has blessed. And with that humility, he was opened up to appreciate what God could do with his life. Listen to the wise counsel of others and make necessary adjustments. That was Moses. Pharaoh, on the other hand, magician said, you're messing with something that we can't do anything about. The magicians were telling him, you need to change your way. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't listen to wise counsel. Moses was definitely willing to welcome to wise counsel. And then embrace your identity as one of God's children. Moses chose not to be associated with Pharaoh's household. He chose to be associated with the children of God. And that's where he found his true identity. That's where he found his true strength. That's where he found his true ability. And instead of looking inward at himself, where did he look? He looked up at God. He kept his eyes focused there. One of the most difficult lessons Jesus had to teach his disciples was on humility, wasn't it? What do they all want? I want to sit at your right hand. I want to sit at your left hand. I want to be with you when you come in your power. I want this. I want that. And what did Jesus say? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle and meek or humble at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 20, 25-28. Jesus called his disciples together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Well, that's a big distinction, isn't it? And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who of all people deserve to be treated with respect, with dignity, with glory, with honor, the creator of the universe, Jesus, right? But he left that and came down to be one of us to serve 
us, to show us how to serve. Pharaoh, I bet you he never offered his wife or wives a glass of water. <laughs> right? Surely. I bet he never turned down the toilet seat. <laughs> it was all about him. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Those stinking, ugly, overgrown, nasty, dirty feet. He bent down and washed him. If that's not an example of humility, if that's not an example of letting go of pride, I don't know of any others. First Peter 5, 5-7. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Jesus came, let go of all that stuff, came down and served. What did God do? He's lifted him up. So his name is above all names. And at his name, every, every knee's going to bow, right? Let God handle your position in society. Let God handle your position in your family, in a corporation. You stay humble. You take care of what needs to do. Pharaoh paid, or Pharaoh refused to bow down, and he paid the ultimate price, didn't he? Moses showed great humility, and he experienced the presence of God. Thank you for your time. We're having services here in just a little bit. So uh, get up, stretch, <laughs> go to the bathroom, enjoy yourself. Jim. I never would have forget. Years ago, when you and Denise were right up there and you watched me teach, what a lesson that was. I don't know how many years ago that was. That was a long time, wasn't it? You remember that, Denise? I took her home that night. She beat me. She said, don't you ever embarrass me like that again. <laughs> <laughs>